You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Ben Sassoon, who created a static site that lets you know how long your toilet paper supply is going to last. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your site? Sure. So I'm Ben Sassoon. I'm 21 years old from the UK. And I recently created the viral website, howmuchtoiletpaper.com, which lets you calculate how long your toilet paper supplies will last during quarantine. Um, I created it when toilet paper suddenly became a big topic around the world and was running out. Um, And I figured something, um, a tool would be useful for people to know um, if they do have enough and if they need to go hoard and empty the shelves at the Costco. Um, And since launching it a couple months ago, we've now had um, over 10 million people use the website from all around the world. Wow, that's so crazy in like the most successful and and funny way. Like, did this actually start off as a joke or did you want this to be like a real thing that's going to be helpful for people? Um, Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a complete joke. Um, I was sat in the toilet, actually. Um, chatting to one of my friends, having a joking conversation. Sorry, I was talking to him through my phone. Obviously, he wasn't there when I was on the toilet. And um, <laughs> <Not. laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, we were just chatting about uh, toilet paper in general because it was flying off the shelves at such an alarming rate at that point. You couldn't buy it anywhere here in the UK, at least. And we were kind of wondering how this has happened and if people really need this much toilet paper. So um, we ran a couple of quick sums uh, on our calculators and realised that our toilet paper uses were quite different, um, which is quite surprising because toilet paper usage isn't really something people talk about with their friends very often. Um, so no one really knows how much each person uses. And we thought, okay, this, this could be like quite a cool joke for our friends. So I threw together the initial prototype in about 20 minutes and just sent it to a couple of friends, literally as a private joke. Didn't think it would go, um, go much further than that. Um, and then next thing you knew, they sent it to their friends their friends sent it to their friends and it had this kind of, if you pardon the pun, more, more of a viral effect, if anything, and um, just grew and grew and grew. And then ne- next thing you know, we were major news. Yeah, you kind of mentioned before the show and I did some research here, you know, this was on a whole bunch of different popular like late night shows. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, um, I think that the first time I really realized how big this had become was I got an email from someone at Fox News. Um, not that I watch Fox News, uh, especially being here in the UK, but um, yeah, that kind of surprised me. I was like, well, why do Fox want to know about this? Um, so I sent them off a bit of info, and then I got another email from The Verge, and The Verge is a publication that I read. It's a massive tech magazine online, um, and that just blew my mind. Like, it had grown this big, and then from there, um, we had CNN contact us, um, and that CNN article um, got millions and millions of, of hits and in the UK reached the front page of Apple News, which meant if you had Apple News installed on your iPhone, you got a notification that day about our website, um, which was mind blowing. I had people messaging me that um, th- fr- from basically my whole life saying, wow, I just seen you pop up on my phone. This is crazy. And then we started being mentioned on the Jimmy Fallon show and the Trevor Noah show. Um, and it's just grown and grown and grown. I mean, even just last week, um, we, we had a long, um, the, the, there's a channel in, in Singapore called Channel News Asia, and they did like an hour long documentary about the toilet paper crisis. And they had a nice segment on us as well. And that's on the other side of the world to me. We had um, radio interviews in Australia, 
in Dublin, in Canada. It's really just gone worldwide. And it's quite unbelievable, to be honest, that such a stupid little website has grown this far. Yeah, I know when I looked at it, it made me laugh because it's like, you know, when you're doing that type of thing, you're not really sitting there counting like, well, how many actual sheets do I use? You know, it's like you just take those things for granted. Like, I'm a simple man. I wipe until I see nothing else, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, um, what one of the funnier um, mentions was uh, a YouTuber called Linus Tech Tips, who I've been a big fan of for many years. And he spoke about us on our podcast and they kind of did it live and they calculated whilst um, on the podcast how much they were using. And just hearing people kind of talk it through with each other, it's so strange. It's so weird hearing people discuss how much toilet paper they use. And you see like the kind of embarrassment that comes over their face talking about it. Um, so kind of seeing and listening to it like that it was really, really eye-opening because it's kind of a tool that's starting all these weird conversations that no one really would have even considered having uh, a couple of months ago. And in a sense, it kind of reflects the bigger change that the COVID-19 outbreak has had on us socially. I mean, we're talking about all these weird things which were unimaginable just a short while ago. Yeah, for sure. And for context, you know, right now it is June 10th, we're recording this one. But, you know, you mentioned this thing has been out for a couple of months, you know, that means probably what in like the March area, I guess, of 2020. Yeah, exactly. So I did actually have coronavirus at the time of making it. So I couldn't leave the house. Um, I was a bit stuck. And I was in the middle of studying for my final exams. Um, Because I'm still at university. I had my dissertation due on the horizon. Um, but I kind of just made this in an hour of free time, half an hour, an hour, um, and put it up. And then it literally changed the next three months of my life completely. And I don't think a moment goes by now where I haven't had to had some co- some kind of focus in my mind on this website. Um, it changed everything for me, really. Um, even down to my university, got uh, heard about it and got in contact with me. And we had a lot of conversations with like, the press officer for the uni because it was great press for them. And they gave me some extensions on my on my work and my exams to kind of accommodate for all these interviews I was doing. So it really just reached every aspect of my life, which was quite unexpected and not, not really something I wanted to be branded as, you know, um, a toilet paper website perhaps isn't the most um, glorifying thing that, that someone can make and be known for. But <laughs> yeah, I'm running with it. Yeah, no, that is very cool, man. Like, I definitely want to congratulate you on the success, like 10 million users in two months, like it just went viral. Very cool. But, uh, you know, we're on a roll here talking about like, you know, the business side of how this thing grew and all sorts of interesting things like that. But maybe now we, we can switch our focus to the technology. So what type of tech stack do you use here to get, you know, basically an MVP up in like 20 minutes? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, again, I want to emphasize how quickly this was up. And this was not ever meant to be a project that would consume three months of my life. It was literally a joke made in one evening, um, which then kind of spun out of control. So I didn't really do anything special, to be honest. Um, I didn't use any frameworks. It's essentially just HTML, CSS, um, JavaScript, and a bit of Bootstrap. Um, I wrote it up in uh, VS Code, because that's my, my, my usual um, text editor. And the, the design was really, really simple. It was just a Jumbotron um, using Bootstrap, um, a couple of sliders using um, JavaScript and HTML input fields. Um, and it was at the start as simple as that. And I pushed it to, to GitHub and I made that repository um, to be my GitHub pages. Um, I don't think I, I didn't ha- even have a proper domain name at first, um, but GitHub make it so easy just to throw up a static site in literally minutes. 
um, without any any real work at all. So that was kind of how we built the MVP. It was just on GitHub pages without much um, really involved in it. But then once we started to grow, we had to look into a lot of um, different things to do, especially once it was growing out of control. Because GitHub pages, for example, um, they say you're allowed 100,000 requests per month. And we were reaching that like every, every couple of hours. Um, so I was really starting to get worried that GitHub were going to take it down. Um, so I did a lot of research into different options. I mean, AWS was a big one in my mind, but um, I didn't want to go that far. Um, I set up a Firebase um, project really quickly, um, which again is so easy. It's like two command line prompts and, and you're set up with it. Um, but we never ended up migrating to that in the end. I was a bit worried because they charge um, uh, they charge uh, almost per request once you reach a certain level. Um, I didn't know how big it was still going to grow and I didn't want to risk some of the horror stories I've read online about people being charged thousands and thousands of their credit cards whilst they're asleep. So I kept it on GitHub pages, but I put it behind Cloudflare, which meant it could cache a whole lot of the requests. And it really, really did help. I mean, I think it dropped our bandwidth by hundreds of gigabytes per day, um, which was just fantastic. It really eased my mind. And even though by the end of it, I had gone over the GitHub pages limit um, essentially every day, they never really had, they, they never really got angry about it. In fact, they were quite happy about it. And they wrote a blog post all about the site um, because I, I use so many elements from the GitHub student pack, which is a great, great resource for anyone in education or working in education, which gives you so many free resources, uh, most of which were completely fundamental in creating this website. And because um, GitHub kind of liked it, thought it was uh, quite funny, they pretty much let it slide. Um, and it's still on GitHub to this day, actually. Yeah, very cool. The people over at GitHub, uh, they seem to be very, very lax on that policy of like the 100k visitors a month. You know, it's like, you know, if you have 110k visitors a month or whatever, you know, they're not really just going to immediately pull the plug. At least I haven't found that in practice. Usually you'll get like a very kind email about, hey, by the way, you know, we're noticing that you're using a lot of traffic. Can you think about ways to reduce that or move it to somewhere else or whatever? But that's very cool to see that they kind of just embrace that page and, and, and let it run like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they, they sent through some merch in the post um, and, and, and all that fun stuff. So they're really, not that we took it on the chin, they really embraced it and um, kind of took it into what they were doing. And we used a lot of elements from the GitHub pack as well in the development. Um, I wanted to make it uh, mobile first. because um, I realized once I started looking at the analytics when it got really big, that something like 70, 80% of the traffic was on mobile. Um, and... I'm guilty of the thing where, you know, you're developing it on your PC and you're only really looking at it on a big monitor um, and kind of mobile is almost an afterthought. Um, so I really had to change my mind when it came to that because so much of our traffic was on mobile. Um, I really had to take that into, into account. Um, so I use tools like um, Browser Stack, which lets you um, emulate the website on a bunch of different devices, um, but like real devices. It's, it's a fantastic, fantastic tool. Um, because although you can test different dimensions, perhaps in the Chrome browser developer tools, um, when you use something like browser stack, it renders it as if it was on that device. Um, and I mean, I'm not an iPhone user, I'm an Android user, but most of our users were on iPhone. Um, so for me to test how it looks for them with the different fonts rendering, uh, with the, with the different font renderings and, um, things like that, browser stack was incredibly helpful and through the GitHub student pack, it's completely free. Whereas usually I think you get like a one minute um, trial. Um, so that was really useful. And then um, when we started branching out into other countries um, and it was get, going viral in like Russia and France and 
um, Mexico as well, I believe, um, it became clear we needed translations. Um, Chrome and some other m mobile browsers um, provide translations kind of out of the box, but they're not very good. Um, so I use a service called Weglot, which means um, you can put in like one line of JavaScript and then in your back in, the in their back end, you can um, select different text elements and write custom translations for each of them. Um, luckily, I'm at university, so I'm around a lot of language students. So I kind of got together with a few of them um, and we got some translations written and it was so straightforward and easy using Weglot, which again was free through the GitHub developer pack. And then also through the developer pack, I used Polypane, which lets you view on your desktop um, different viewports and also shows you um, how the meta tags are almost rendered for things like Twitter cards and Facebook Open Graph. Um, and because we're being shared so much, that, that was really vital to be able to see um, clearly how different thumbnails are being rendered um, and, and all that kind of stuff, which is just vital um, in like a social media age. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's uh, many, many, many good things to discuss based on that last five minutes there. So you mentioned this whole entire thing is a static site, but you didn't mention if you're using any specific type of static site generator. It almost sounds like maybe you're not. Like, did you just like hard code just a single like index HTML file and that was it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's such a simple website at the end of the day that I didn't really see the need to kind of go all out and use something like Gatsby or, or, or similar. Um, literally, I just did it in pure HTML, um, which I think for this kind of project, almost I wouldn't say pushing the limits, but it's kind of fine. There's not really that much going on. I mean, I had to add an extra couple of pages here and there, which would have been perhaps easier if I used some kind of generator. But um, yeah, it was really straightforward and it makes debugging like a dream. Um, and it's so easy to quickly change things on, on the go as well. Um, once I was out of isolation, for example, um, and I was in, say, the supermarket, I can literally get over my phone, open the GitHub app and change whatever I need and push it straight to straight straight to the cloud, which is really fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is one amazing feature of just using GitHub pages. It's like, well, you know, if you're not at your main workstation, you can always open, you know, edits on a specific page right there in the web UI, which is uh, very cool. Yeah, exactly. And um, we eventually started um, kind of branching out a bit um, and we started to run some ads um, because there was just so much traffic and it was consuming so much of my life and I couldn't really do anything else every day, um, including my part-time job once I was out of quarantine, obviously. Um, so I started to run some ads just to kind of almost compensate us for what we were doing um, and the kind of time that it was taking. Um, and we used Ezoic for that. Um, and Ezoic were pretty good. Um, they were really, really helpful throughout everything. They essentially provide like a AI layer above Google ads, um, which kind of decides based on who the viewer is, where ads are rendered and what, what ads are rendered. Um, so no two users on the site see ads in the same place almost, but it really optimizes it well. And you have a lot of customization as to where they're kind of rendered. Um, and that was extremely useful because it meant I didn't have to start sitting there putting like HTML divs in with holding ads and optimize that for all different devices and different viewports. Um, they kind of just deal with all of that and they have a great management tool in the back end and they were really, really helpful along the way. So if anyone is trying to start up um, a website and it's going viral and you need to get some, some revenue, I'd recommend something like Ezoic. Um, and we also used um, uh, something called Coffee, spelled K-O-F-I, which lets you put on a button saying like, buy me a coffee. And someone can click that and go through to the coffee website and make a quick PayPal donation of like $3, which is, you know, roughly the price of a coffee. 
and we were getting hundreds and hundreds of, the, of these because it's just so quick and easy for someone to do. Um, so I'd highly recommend things like that, PayPal donation buttons, coffee buttons, and running ads through something like Ezoic. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't really got a chance to speak with anyone on this podcast yet about the topic of like advertisements. Like personally for me, like, you know, I'm kind of anti-advertising, but I understand that for a lot of businesses, like that is sort of kind of necessary. Uh, do you want to go into maybe some like decisions you made to pick that specific ad service that you're using? And is it just basically just a wrapper on top of AdSense then, right? You mentioned Google ads, but, or is it more of a like paid ads like AdWords? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like one of the most important decisions I made and one of the hardest decisions I made was the decision to run ads. I'm the kind of guy that has uBlock Origin on all the time. I never see ads online and I don't really like ads. Um, but I've never really been in the position where I'm the one running the ads. And it was a really weird change of mind. And I had so much back and forth in my mind about it. Um, but in the end, we did decide to run ads and it was a good decision. Um, it's helped set me up for what is now, you know, a really hard period of unemployment for a lot of people. Um, so I'm lucky I've now got a bit of money in the bank, um, so that I'm not going to suffer as much as I would have otherwise, um, because it's a really hard job market out there now, uh, with everything going on. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, Ezoic is basically a wrapper around Google AdSense. So all the ads are from AdSense. Um, so you don't get any of like the horrible spammy ads. Um, it's all AdSense, but really well optimized. And they have great features on there for like A-B testing. Um, and like re you can really fine tune the user experience. And I wanted on the site, the user experience to be key. So that really helped me out with that. Um, and yeah, um, monetization in general, it's a really tricky topic. Um, it really is tricky and it's a really hard decision to make. Um, but once you make it, there are a lot of services that can help you out, but you've got to be really careful as well. Um, Ezoic actually ended up being the third advertisement provider we went through um, because the first two just ended in disaster, um, really disaster. I was very inexperienced. I'd never done ads before. Um, I tried applying for just Google AdSense straight away, um, but that takes a really long time to get accepted on your own. Um, and I think I was actually rejected a couple of times um, because you've got to have a lot of content on your site to make that work. Like a, you've got to be like a really good blog or, or e-commerce site um, with a lot of content. And we didn't have any content. It was just a couple of sliders. So I went with some alternative companies that, that ran ads um, and we went live with the first one. And as soon as we went live, whenever I went on the website, um, it opened like a million tabs on my phone with like really spammy content. And anywhere I clicked would launch like a new pop-up um, it was just a disaster. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I quickly disabled it. Um, and they couldn't really give me an answer as to why that happened. And they couldn't figure out how to solve it until the week later. Um, and I wasn't prepared to wait that long um, for spammy ads like that because they weren't through AdSense. Um, and then this, the second company we went through, um, I, I won't name and shame on here, but they were based in New York. And um, eventually they blocked out my account and completely ghosted me and stole a couple of hundred dollars from me um, because of a disagreement we had over email. And still to this day, they haven't got back to me. So that's money lost. Um, so again, avoid them. But Ezoic were really, really good. And because they're very trusted and kind of, again, a wrap around Google AdSense, it's very safe and there's very little risk involved compared to going with like these kind of lower name ad brands. Right. Very cool. Yeah, you don't need to really get into like revenue numbers here, but was it worth it to put all three of those different ways of gaining money on your site, like between the buy me a coffee, PayPal and the ads, like 
are they roughly like a third each or is there like, oh, this one was like 80% then the other stuff is 20%? Sure. So this is something that actually really surprised me. Um, for things like the coffee button and the donate button, we had like a PayPal donate button as well. I wasn't really expecting anyone to use that. Um, I'm just a student. I don't think I've ever really gone to a website and liked it so much that I've wanted to donate to it. But we were getting hundreds and hundreds of donations. Um, I'd get an email from PayPal every time we got one. Um, and I honestly couldn't believe it. And people were leaving such lovely messages because you can leave a message as well through coffee. And people were just loving it. I couldn't believe it. We're getting donations from all around the world. I think we must have had at least three or 400 donations individually, which just blew my mind. I mean, I never expected to get that kind of response. And it's just incredible how generous some people are on the internet. Um, you often only really hear of all the, all the bad things of the internet, really. But yeah, people are really, really generous and really wanted to help out and, and just loved it. Um, so that was really, really great. Um, and then, so yeah, that was for donations. But for ads, it did generate a, a lot of revenue, um, like way more than the donations would, especially when you're getting the, those levels of traffic. I mean, I think at its peak, we were getting, I think, like $5,000 a day just from ad revenue, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Like, this was a site I set up with like a $7 budget just to buy a domain name and, and not much else. So to be generating like that kind of money from, from ads each day is, I, I'd say, life-changing, actually. And it was not something I expected when going in. I was kind of expecting maybe a couple dollars a day here and there, but not thousands of thousands. Yeah, that is uh, amazing, man. Congrats on that. Like 5K a day, even if that ran for a couple of weeks or a month or something, that's like almost two years salary in a lot of like pretty well-off businesses, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it was completely new to me. Um, this is kind of my first online business in a sense. And it kind of quickly taught me how to work in a business. It's not something I've really done before. I was having to make really hard business decisions, of which were really, really risky. Um, I was having quite a lot in my mind at the time. It was a lot to weigh up. And this was in the middle of doing like my final uni exams. Um, yeah, pr probably close to having a breakdown a few times. But I think it was worth it in the end. Right. So earlier you mentioned that, uh, you know, there's some sliders here where you can pick various options of like how many sheets do you use and other things like that. When it comes to writing the JavaScript for this, did you use just vanilla JavaScript or jQuery or something else? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just vanilla JavaScript. Um, all, all it is really is taking the values um, from the DOM and just applying really quick maths. I mean, this is the kind of funny thing, like the entire maths for the whole website is like six lines of JavaScript code. And it could be a lot less if I wanted it, but it's, it's, it's just clean if I split it up this way. Um, but yeah, this entire website is essentially built around six lines of code. And everything else is, is just kind of a wrapper on that. Um, so it takes um, the, the values from each sliders. Um, it times together the sheets, the number of wipes, um, the number of toilet visits, and the number of people. Um, and then does a couple more um, calculations to find the number of rolls you use every day based on how many sheets you tell it you have on your roll and you use per day. And then, yeah, it kind of rounds the result of um, the total sheets divided by the number of sheets you use every day and gives you an answer. Um, I mean, that might sound quite complicated when I'm saying it out loud, but it's literally like five five or six lines of JavaScript. It, it, it's really that simple. Right. Yeah, I can just visualize like a couple of variables, like this gets that value, that value, that value. Then you just, you know, add them up, divide, and you're done, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing um, that has really taught me that websites don't have to be complicated to be popular. 
you don't have to have like the next big machine learning algorithm or you know blockchain insert buzzword here to get a lot of traffic simple is kind of the best in that sense and you're opening yourself up to a bigger audience if you keep it simple yeah i mean this podcast usually is more focused on the tech but there's like so little tech here to talk about but that that is a very very interesting point right it's like yeah just getting something out there something like this it's like as you say it changed your entire life just getting it out there six lines of javascript and just a straight up like index html file and 20 minutes and you're done you know, you read some other things like on Hacker News and all their tech sites, and it's like, yeah, you feel like you need to reinvent or invent some insanely complex thing to have a successful uh, business or, you know, even a side project, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, once you have just a simple, simple idea, which a lot of people can relate to, I mean, it's just plain rolling from there. There are some little tricks you can do to kind of boost your audience. I don't know if it's kind of relevant to the podcast, so feel free to edit this bit out. But we have um, these share buttons um, so once your result is calculated, it kind of says underneath, share your result on Twitter, Facebook, or WhatsApp. Whenever you click those, it does like a quick JavaScript command to generate like a unique sharing URL with your result in. Um, and that, I would say, was one of the biggest factors of our success um, because people really thought it was funny and they want to share it with their friends and their family. So once they have this result, whether it be like a crazy high result or a crazy low result, people still want to share that. And Twitter was just exploding with it. Um, if you searched for the domain name, you just scroll through for hours and hours. So many people sharing the results with their thoughts and their thoughts on the toilet paper crisis as a whole. Um, and especially once we added the WhatsApp button. I'm not sure how popular WhatsApp is over in the States, but in the EU and Europe and the UK, it's it's a really big deal. People have big groups like all their family on. So once we added that button, we saw so many shares and kind of the age audience shifted on the site. And it suddenly reached a whole older audience, um, like 60, 70 plus in age, because um, Google Analytics can kind of, kind of tell you these things. Because um, I really think people started to share it with their families and a lot more people were kind of connecting with it who perhaps don't usually use Facebook or Twitter or use the internet much at all and don't have access to internet news like most of us techie developers do. So having clear share buttons like that um, was unbelievably helpful to our success. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's really relevant to the podcast, but some people might find it interesting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're going to be running some type of site in production, like a way to get traffic or, you know, specific tools and services you use is pretty useful. I mean, I'm probably not going to make it a theme on this podcast to go into episodes like this, but I think it's it's nice to cover this from time to time just to get a pulse on, you know, these type of topics. Now, you mentioned, though, you're using uh, Google Analytics and a couple of other services there. Did we miss any services that you're using to make this site operate? Um, oh, I'm trying to think now. Um, all, the, all the icons on the website, including the logo, um, we got from Icons 8, um, so it's like, like the number 8. And again, through the GitHub developer pack, you have premium access to that and you get a great license, which means you can kind of use these icons um, almost wherever you want, um, which is really helpful because it means you can quickly generate really good icons, really good graphics without much kind of thought process at all um, and without having to pay silly money for licenses. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, so all the kind of things we used, if I list them off, GitHub Pages, Firebase, Cloudflare, Ezoic, Browser Stack, Weeglot, Icons 8, Polypane, Coffee. Um, those are the main tools we used. Um, it's not that much. And then eventually um, we used the Empire Flippers platform to actually sell the website on once it got a bit too much for me. 
okay, cool, yeah, maybe we can wrap this up by talking about that uh, domain transfer, right? Because that's a pretty technical topic here. Did you have to do anything special at like the domain registrar level? Speaking of which, like which registrar did you use? Was it Cloudflare or something else? Yeah, sure. Um, so I sold the site through Empire Flippers, actually. So Empire Flippers really try to make it a really smooth service. Um, we're still kind of sorting out um, some of the details, but a fair bit of it is kind of done already. Um, I registered the domain through Namecheap. I really love Namecheap. Of all the domain providers I've used, I find them to be the easiest to use and the cheapest. Um, I avoid things like GoDaddy. I've tried domain.com, really did not like it. So I transferred all my domains over to Namecheap. Um, and yeah, they make everything really easy, especially if um, the person you're selling your site to has a Namecheap account. Um, it's literally one small form and it's transferred over to theirs, which is really, really simple. Um, and in terms of DNS and things, there's a bit of a DNS mess with the site because um, my registrar name servers were pointing to Cloudflare and then Cloudflare was actually pointing to Ezoic because the way Ezoic works, you don't... This, sorry, just to backtrack this for ads, um, Ezoic. The way it works, you don't put like HTML elements into your site, but you actually route your DNS through their DNS service and they're able to inject ads like at a DNS level almost, which is kind of weird and not many... Ad companies do that, um, but I guess they found that kind of works the best for them. It gives them the most control on their end as well with how they customize the ads for each user. So it was kind of almost a three-step DNS process, um, which, yeah, it kind of makes it a bit complicated when you come to the transfer. Um, I had to have a, a conversation if like, they want to include ads or not in the sale um, and how the accounts will work. So yeah, that's kind of how my DNS structure worked. It was registrar to Cloudflare to Ezoic. Um, which I think is unusual, but I've not really worked on many major websites and I'm not sure how, how it's usually done. Right. And then at the end, then I guess now they work as a middleman to securely get your domain from your hands to whoever bought it, almost like a broker, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So Empire Flippers charge like a broker fee um, for them to kind of handle everything, um, including the transfer of assets. Um, I'm quite lucky. The guy that bought the site actually um, is a programmer too. Um, and as this is just on GitHub, it's just really easy to transfer it to someone. It's just one repo, really, um, with not much going on in the back. I can imagine it'd probably be a lot more complicated if you got a proper backend running and hosted on AWS or something. But for me, it's really simple. I can just download my repo, send it over, and then transfer the domain over. It's really as simple as that. Right. Now, it's funny, usually in this podcast, you know, we kind of end things off by talking about like disaster recovery and unexpected events and stuff like that. But in this case, it's like you don't really have any data. Like your code is just sitting there in GitHub. Like, is that the only spot where you have have it backed up? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got it backed up on different cloud storage and different hard drives ju just in case, like a worst case, GitHub disappears one night. But I think the world would have a lot more problems than just my toilet paper website if um, GitHub disappears. Um, but we did have quite a few problems as well, which kept me up a lot at night. Um, I mean, one example was having dinner one night and I look at my phone, I've got like 10 emails from Cloudflare saying they've been un unable to reach the site. And I try to go to the website and it's just not there. And you get like a 404 server error, I can't remember which one it was. And you know, the panic sets in. It's like you look on analytics and you see the number of users on the site from like 10,000 just dropping, dropping, dropping. It's just crazy. And like you kind of start to panic. Um, but you just got to keep like a clear mind, especially if like a one man band like me. Um, I kind of had to, had to do everything myself. And that kind of incident response kind of thing, I'm not that experienced in. But we managed to get up in the end. There were so many different things that kind of happened to make that um, 
it was, it was, it was quite unique. But I think I had to update a couple of DNS things that had somehow gone wrong. It's still a bit of a mystery how this happened. But once, yeah, I had to fix a couple of things within the DNS. And then that was fine. Um, and we had a few other things like accidentally deleting major lines of code um, and <laughs> pushing that to live, which is just so stupid. Really, really stupid. Like I, I once deleted the viewport meta tag. Um, I didn't realize until I was getting emails from people saying they couldn't use the site properly on their mobile phone. And then I look at it on my phone and it's not rendered correctly at all just because I deleted one line and never really realized. Which I suppose is one of the downsides of kind of doing this all hand-coded. Because it's quite easy to make a mistake and I'm not running it through any testing or continuous integration tests or anything like that. Because there's not really much to test in it. Um, it's just kind of having that mentality of always checking before... Uh, pushing to the repo um, but the great thing about github is that you can just roll back if you need to and it's really not that much of a hassle right so end to end when you were deploying like a new feature to the site you were just making some commit pushing it to the master branch then github pages would uh, do what it needs to do and then it's live from there yeah so i'd have a dev branch um, i'd make the changes on, on there do the tests that i needed to when i remembered to anyway and then yeah literally merge it into master and push um, which is so much easier than the other sites I've worked on where you got to um, set up like Travis or some continuous integration tools to redeploy the server. Um, there's actually none of that. I mean, once the Cloudflare cache was um, wiped in a sense, then the site was live, um, which is quite cool because someone, I get hundreds and hundreds of emails every day from users of the site requesting new features or telling me about their experience with it. And if someone wanted a new feature, I could literally add it within minutes deploy it and then send them an email straight back saying cool that's up now and with the other sites i've worked on it's never been that easy um when you got to do things kind of server side so yeah kind of having all these tools um nowadays like github pages um really kind of changes the game almost for these quick small websites um it's easier than it ever was before i mean i remember having back in the day having to do like ftp transfers into the servers um, which are all on like shared hosting and I had to pay for the privilege. And now GitHub Pages is completely free. It's They've got their content distribution network around the world. It's easier than ever. And you can have things up there in one command. Right. Yeah. And then you have Cloudflare sitting on top of that to really help you out with certain things like, you know, DDoS production and just overall being able to serve a heck of a lot of traffic like what you had. You know, this is like the textbook case of having nothing and then suddenly getting like millions of people viewing it very fast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd never, when I set out to make this, I never planned for any of this to happen. Um, so having amazing tools at my disposal, like Cloudflare, which you can get set up within essentially minutes, um, it really is like a savior almost. And if I didn't have that running and I didn't didn't deploy something like Cloudflare, or perhaps when I set up the site, I put it on like a shared hosting with my registrar for like a couple of dollars a month, it never would have been able to scale to this level, even just as a static site. Once it reaches like certain levels of traffic, you know, it can just grind to a halt. Um, so having all these free tools nowadays, which I don't remember being available like a couple of years ago when I was setting up little sites then, it really just makes it easier than ever to come up with an idea, launch an MVP within literally minutes and be able to scale to millions and millions of users. Yeah, for sure. So Ben, thanks a lot for coming on the Running in Production podcast. It was really great having you on. Thank you very much. And I hope I've brought up a couple of new things that perhaps haven't been mentioned on the podcast before. Um, and I hope your viewers found it interesting. Yeah, definitely. And uh, before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? Yeah, sure. So you can visit howmuchtoiletpaper.com 
Um, or you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my username is Ben Sassoon, B-E-N-S-A-S-S-O-N. Cool. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running In Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.